might be a good time to roll the intro. All right, so I'm going to roll the intro credit stuff, the intro graphic, and then we'll just officially get started. All right, here we go. So, hey, everyone. Welcome. Happy Friday or happy an hour later if you're watching the other podcast. Um, I'm joined by the one and only Patrick Quinn, trust protector, longtime trust protector, and for another long period of time. How's it going? Great. Great. Thanks for having me, Joel. And thanks for the schedule gymnastics, by the way, for getting this scheduled. Yeah, no problem. Uh, I try to keep myself to arbitrary schedules when I can because otherwise my life is a disaster because I have no personal discipline, but yeah. it's always self-imposed. And so if I can, I can always change stuff around on people. Just people complain, well, what was it? did I miss the podcast? Why was it this week? It's like, well, that's why I've been very communicative about, you know, people being um, about when this kind of stuff is going on. So if you're missing this, it's your own fault. Sorry. <laughs> well, actually, maybe I didn't share it on Reddit. I can't remember. But if you're just lurking on Reddit, you need a better life because Reddit's kind of a dark place these days. Uh, why don't you go ahead and just introduce yourself to people? I think um, people who know about the Dash Trust have seen your name there somewhere. And people on Discord have seen your handle somewhere. But there might be people who have actually like no idea who you are, where you come from, all this kind of stuff. So why don't you just give the... You know, the, the the interview question I always hated the most is tell us a little bit about yourself, but yeah. So tell, at least in the context of dash, tell us a little bit about yourself. Yeah. So I'll do like 20 seconds of just, um, you know, demographics and that stuff. And then we'll fast mm -hmm. forward to the dash part of my life. So that the interesting mm -hmm. stuff, um, 49 years old, born and raised in Chicago, married with two daughters. I've been in it for 25 years, uh, software, specifically for 23 years mm -hmm. um and uh so that's a little personal a little professional um my dash journey starts with perry wooden which a lot oh, of nice. people um, will recognize that name for sure way more people than still would recognize my name so um perry was um, an employee of mine i own two companies um, mm -hmm. and i'll talk about those a little bit more too maybe um, one of them's a Dash company, so that's definitely part of the Dash story. Um, but one of them's just a 20-year-old software development firm, and um, we've obviously been doing that for a long time. Perry was um, a director of, of development services for us, so he headed up our software engineering team. And um, Perry was the third in line. I did that first as the founder, mm -hmm. um, typical you know programming founder kind of situation. Yeah. Um, then I hired the first person to take that over from me um, and then that person hired Perry and then Perry eventually took over from that second person so the baton was passed mm -hmm. over the years and then I lost Perry he left and this is about 2015 and I was like I thought we were living the software dream come on what's going on here and he had mentioned Dash before and just you know in side chats and things like that talked a little bit about it but now he was really diving all in. So this was node 40 that he co-founded with Sean Ryan and they were building the, um, uh, the master node hosting business, one of the master node hosts that are out there. So node 40 master node hosting. So, um, they, it was time to go all in on that. So, um, 
So then Perry left and I said, all right, well, shoot, let's keep in touch. And that's when I got into masternodes and learning more about Dash. And it really piqued my interest. And so, um, and I've philosophically, I've been interested in um, non-government money since I was a kid. Um, so that was an easy um, affinity for me. And like anyone who's interested in these concepts and the institutions that are involved, once you read a little bit, you just can't stop, right? So, of course. so then I was just immersed in it. Anyway, but on the on the practical everyday reality front, Perry's over here, um, over there working at Note Forty, and we just keep mm -hmm. in touch. And then, funny um, interjection on Perry yeah, sure. uh, about on this say, well, it was on a different YouTube channel at the time, but about f almost five years ago. Yeah, to, in June, it'll be five years ago, I interviewed Perry for Note 40. So yeah, I definitely know who ah. you're talking about there, but it's it's crazy how time flies. <laughs> I could have sworn it was like a year or two ago, but it's like almost, it's like June of 2017 was, was that. So yeah. Yeah, for sure. And so then um, he comes to me, um, you know, a year and a half ago or so and says, hey, there's this thing called Dash Trust Protectors. I can't do it anymore. I'd like to throw my 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 votes or so not in my votes but you know my endorsement behind you if you will um, would you be interested i was beyond interested for sure um this is my sixth board position if you want to think of it as a board of directors position which it really is mm. um, i've been president of five different boards so i'm used to volunteering and trying to help out you know kind of outside of regular work hours if you will so um, I jumped in on that and it must've been Perry that helped get me elected. I don't know. He pulled some <laughs> strings behind the scenes or something. So that worked. Um, that was last year's election. Um, but something was brewing at the same time. So then Perry had come to me. We, we kept a really good relationship even after he left. And, um, he says, look, um, at node 40 right now, it's all about their balance product. I don't know if you know about their balance product, but it's crypto accounting. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, blockchain, ledger accounting, all of that. And needless to say, it's a big, big deal. And there are a lot of people very, very interested in in being involved in that and in funding it and so forth. And a lot of people interested in doing legit crypto accounting, right? Which is really hard. You know, these um, ledgers, these wallets are, it's really, really weird stuff as far as accounting. And then of course the status of the of crypto as, as an asset fundamentally is weird, et cetera. Et cetera. Yeah, Everyone knows that sort of so you can understand why they would say, hey, we need to focus here, right? So we've got Masternode hosting, we've got balance, we've got to focus, which, and so um, part of the story too, is that my um, first software company has been in the cloud for a decade now. So we moved mm -hmm. formally into the cloud in 2012. So, and Perry was part of that because he worked here. So, so he knew what we knew and what we were capable of and um, cloud is an important part of, uh, master of hosting in this case. So he says, would you guys be interested in this part mm -hmm. of the business? So once again, Perry must know me well, because whenever he calls me and says, would you be interested? It's like, it's like yes. that. <laughs> so I said, absolutely. As it happened, um, as my company had evolved, I had taken on uh, two equity partners. So the three partners, um, and we were actually looking for kind of a next project um, as my company's 20 years old. And that's some people say that when you're 20, you're just now no longer a startup. So we're out of our startup True. phase. Um, things are, you know, unstable and, and we have a plan and all that. So when Perry's offer came along, um, we jumped on it. So during this first term of 
uh, my Dash Trust Protector work, um, we actually bought um, Node40 Masternode hosting. So that is mm -hmm. now Zymeri uh, Masternode hosting. So that is my second company that I own, same three partners over both of them. And that certainly brings us current in my Dash journey. Uh, the only thing mm -hmm. more current is the election just happened and, and here I am again. Yeah, well, fantastic. I mean, kind of long in the tooth of the Dash world, but it's kind of funny how um, there's some people who have been involved for quite some time, but everyone kind of knows they're like out on the public stuff. And there's so many people. I've noticed this a lot in the last couple of years. A lot of people have popped out of the woodwork with Dash that'll be like, oh yeah, like I'm, I'm trying to get back involved. And it's like, oh great, how'd you hear about it? It's like, well, back in 2014, Evan, I'm like, oh, wow, you've been there for a while. It just, you just haven't been here here. And it's kind of a, an interesting thing. I've personally noticed that there's a there's starting to be a little bit of a culture shift where a lot of the Dash world in the, in the past was very passive, very just like, I'm an investor, I have this, I support this, but I don't really get out there. And then there's a lot more getting out there for lack of a more uh, a scientific term uh, recently. And I guess this is, um, this is a good representation. And um, personally, from what I know, I know um, I'm close with a few of the, uh, well, actually, uh, quite a few of the trust protectors in general, but especially some of the outgoing team, and they always spoke very highly of you. And as you're the continuity between the teams of, you know, the one, the sole survivor, right? The one who's here from the last cycle, who's now here in the new cycle, uh, I figured that it'd be a great time to actually get a little bit of a handle on what the trust is doing especially because no one really cared about the trust for the most part up until relatively recently right it was in the last few months that there was there's a lot of um you know for lack of a better term drama that uh, a lot of it was like well you know according to what we heard about and then everyone's all like in the he said she said it's like the trust has been the kind of mediator and then now you know it's like now um the trust has been called on for a bunch of interesting stuff. So um, let me let me just kind of there was a few. I'm going to hit a, a few of the you know more general talking points that we go to some of the pre-asked questions, and then and we kind of go from there. Which, by the way, this is a good time as any to mention if any of you listening go to cointr.ee/slash/the-desert-links, you can throw in some dash with a donation with a message, and I will guarantee you I will read those out. The ones in the the you know the bus of the sky, right? The the people's live chat. Um, I I can I will can elect to ignore some of those if I don't like them. But if you throw some dash behind them, I can't I can't ignore that. You know. Um, so, um, starting off, um, what does the what is the actual act? Everyone kind of I think gets the theoretical role of the trust, which is to basically act as the real world liaison of the will of the network behind dash owned assets of which dash core group is the big one or the big thing that most people kind of think about um practically speaking what do the trust protectors actually do oh you got on a mute again or something here we are Better. there we go yep sorry about that um the practical role of the dash of the trust and the trust protectors mm 
Mm-hmm. There's actually, um, there's uh, like an organizational practicality to it. Um, but then of course, there's just the human practicality. So one of the things that, uh, starting with the human side. So as you said, it's it's kind of the referees in the room, right? Um, uh, a board of advisors that's mm-hmm. independent, um, that can be contacted, that can, that basic in theory, anything can be discussed with and et cetera, et cetera. So, um, you know, I always thought that one of the things that, of course, this is not unique to me, one of the things that stands out about Dash to a lot mm-hmm. of people who love it and support it is the governance model, right? Yeah. And the governance model is part built in, but then this trust and trust protector arrangement is also part of that governance model. And the reality is that, you know, okay, so we're, we're waging revolution, right? We are mm-hmm. displacing um, the banking industry and money and all of those highfalutin things. I believe that deeply. It's the most exciting thing, ranking right up there with the printing press and um, and all of it, you know, um, freedom and these sorts of things, the internet. So, but, you know, it's, I believe in head in the clouds and dream big, but feet firmly planted on the ground. So we're waging this revolution in the real world. And, you know, it's still so early in the game that um, we still have a lot of people to convince, not just to convince about crypto generally, but about Dash specifically, right? Oh, yeah. So this governance model is a real competitive advantage. It's a real differentiator. But these old economy folks, um, a lot of people are going to be very interested in the idea of a board of directors. It's a very, very familiar concept. Everything has a board of directors. Your local church has a board of directors. Your bank has one. Your food bank has one you know, your schools, it's just, a, it's a universal concept. So when they hear, oh, Dash, board of directors, i.e. the trust protectors, whoo, okay, great. So maybe that's something we can get with um, and it's more relatable, um, you know, as opposed to if the whole thing were just some uh, yeah, personal it's, smart contract. It's kind of the, uh, the Ghostbusters factor. Who are you going to call? Like, who are you going to call? It's not right. just, well, how do, how do you type something into the command line in this wallet to like, it's like no who's in charge who do i talk to who like runs things and obviously yeah. the reality of things is in more of the cypherpunk complicated whatever that what that is but as far as like at least there's a f- human face to this a organizational face right and then so that's just kind of like the organizational human side of it but there are some practical legal uh things that are accomplished with this mm-hmm. overall infrastructure it's truly innovative. I mean, Ryan pointed that out um, when he was really talking a lot publicly about this four years ago, because it was just getting off the ground. I mean, Ryan and the pe- people who, other folks who put this together really should be commended. It's it's genuinely yeah, innovative. And it's a bridge between, again, these two worlds, which I think is really important. Even if you deeply believe that we're waging revolution here, if you want to wage a revolution in education, guess what you need lots of? teachers or if you want to wage a revolution in medicine guess what you need lots of doctors right so you have to um create bridges that sort of bring people along i think that the trust and the trust protectors can be one of those the concept of it right mm-hmm. as a practical matter though um they thought through this a lot you know originally dcg was like a nonprofit, like a trade association yeah um a lot of really suffocating legalities to that arrangement um as a corporation the only entity that can elect um, members of a board of directors are the shareholders, but you cannot be um, 
unnamed shareholders in a in a u.s mm -hmm. corporation anyway right so so that would mean like, like one of the questions that comes up is well why can't the trust uh, the master note owners just directly elect the board of directors and thus directly control dcg well this is the reason why um because most master note owners would not agree basically to being outed and doxed right and so of course. some would but um so there's then an, an a sort of an extraction of the shares into the into the trust itself and the trust the trust is 100 shareholder of mm -hmm. dcg um this is why by the way we've got we always get questions um probably every election i've only been wrong for a couple but um why do we have to go through like um, kyc um, and and legal documentation as trust protectors this is the answer um because you can't have uh like these unnamed shareholders in an in a legal entity like this so um, so that solves a lot of the legal problems and still allows us to have some genuine legal standing in this conventional legal world and economy, um, but not in a way that uh, is uh, unseemly or unacceptable to say masternode owners. Um, or uh, the other thing that it does then is um, it, it actually assists the decentralization, it enhances the decentralization. Mm -hmm. um, even Ryan was talking about the fact that, like, for example, if DCG had been a partnership, then, um, you know, assets and profits are owned by the partners, right? So, yeah. you know, this is the kind of an arrangement where you can dissolve things and take walk away with assets. And it's really risky to the actual long term, you know, life and health of the project. So C Corporation, of course, has very different rules. Yeah. Um, yeah. So but but to have all of that concentrated, uh, even in a C Corporation would be more concentration. So there's, it, it uh, sort of deconcentrates the ownership structure. And then the last thing that it does is it directly connects this independent body, the, the trust protectors to the network, right? because the mm -hmm. network elects us directly. So I'd say those are the important bits. Yeah, and it, it's kind of, um, crypto is kind of like, came from, for lack of a better term, like your mom's basement type thing. Like someone just created some stuff. Someone just posts some stuff on some forum. People deploy some code base that here and there uh, as a funny kind of um, story on that thing. A lot of people don't know um, the Monero main website is getmonero.org because Monero.org was run by some community member who at some point had like issues with the main team and he just didn't want to give the domain up. So they had to start over with a new domain. And so anyone go to Monero.org, it's still a Monero site, but it's like not the official one. And so can you imagine if, you know, let's just take, you know, take a, a page out of the old school, like Tungfa, who used to do a whole lot of, uh, you know, Philip, who used to do a whole lot. What if he just decided, you know what? I hate this. I'm leaving. I'm taking the, like the domain, the Twitter handle. I'll take it all with me. And it's like, yeah. what are you going to do? Okay, you're going to start over from zero. You're going to lose all these followers, all this search engine optimization, everything like that. But now if you actually can have ownership, but it's not like a company where now you have like a, and you know, where you now you have centralized control over what should be a decentralized network. It's kind of the best of both worlds. Yeah, for sure. And again, they really thought through this, um, you know, as corporations mature, this usually takes decades, but eventually they start investing a lot in like succession planning, right? For this mm -hmm. very reason, even entirely privately held corporations because it's important right um so you know this is only the fourth trust protector election that just happened so we're not even yeah. very far into it but this is essentially succession planning 
and Ryan in particular talked a lot about that in, in writing about the concept. It's making sure that um, all of it survives the original group, the OGs, the original founders, or the original volunteers or whatever, whether that's DCG or the trust itself and the protectors. And, it, you know, here we are. It's, it looks, it's very healthy. So, Yeah, and that's something I think a lot of people don't really appreciate is um, Bitcoin was led by Satoshi Nakamoto, who then has not reappeared. Again, I don't care what the BSV people say. but is, <laughs> And then since then, leadership over the project has kind of been in all different directions. Uh, but it's kind of because it was the start of a movement, it kind of survived despite that. But almost every other project has had some kind of a central figurehead and hasn't really moved well to you know survive that. Like uh, Vitalik Buterin with Ethereum. I'd argue Ethereum's probably big enough at this point that it could probably survive and figure out how to keep on going despite that. But still, the founders involved, you know, Litecoin with Satoshi uh, with Satoshi Light or uh, Charlie Lee. Um, his, it, the entire project kind of lives and dies by his word, kind of. Uh, Monero had, of course, the Fluffy Pony era, and he's kind of moved out of the project a little bit, and it's kind of gone in some interesting directions, which, you know, probably beyond the scope of this, but, like, most of these things, it's, like, founder, and then how do you, where you go? Like, Justin Sun for Tron, and then you go for, you know, Jared Tate with Digibyte, and there's been a lot of internal consternation in that community about how things have gone since he's sort of not been as active or things like that. But then you have Dash, which Evan Duffield and almost my entire history with Dash, Evan has not really been heavily involved with the project, you know, from yep. like t late 2016, early 2017. And then you have, you know, the Ryan Taylor era, which is kind of like up till like recently. And then Ryan resigned and moved on to other things. And now I don't know what, what if there's a figurehead at all, one could say, but it's definitely the project keeps kicking, keeps moving along. I would say smoothly with lots of different actors doing lots of different things. And the succession continues, right? It's not like, Oh, what are we ever going to do without this guy? Yeah. And as Sam will tell you, um, the mm -hmm. development team. So right down to the core of what we do, the essence of what we do, which is software engineering, Mm -hmm. Even that is, uh, I don't know what the number is, it's 90% turnover as compared to, say, just like three years ago, roughly mm -hmm. speaking. By the way, if I get any any factoids or numbers wrong, I'll, I'll fix it in comments afterwards. But anyone can just complain and I'll make sure we'll I fix it up. in post. <laughs> fix it in post, yep. Um, so, but, but, you know, so uh, it's not just like, you know, players um, and people mm -hmm. overall. It's even just right down to the development team, and it does. It keeps moving along. The, the, the part about those, those sort of cult of personality projects, the thing about that is that um, it's one of those situations where it works great until it doesn't. You mm -hmm. know, it looks like it's working great, and you just think, wow, it just must be like almost magic. Like it's got all of its own momentum, and it doesn't need CEOs and all that. And then almost every time, that's one of those situations where poof, it's gone overnight because – it was taken for granted, right? And none of this actual structure and actual, you know, thoughtful governance was put in place. But here we are with Dash, you know, um, we're, we're pretty far past that. So that's, I like that. Yeah. And that's kind of a, I, I've noticed this and um, Bitcoin again, because it's, it's such a movement. 
has kind of not had that problem to the most part, but there, there are some like, I guess the, the let's move to off chain scaling path has been fraught with difficulties. Uh, and I personally believe that we're going to be, we're going to see a major Bitcoin governance crisis in the next few years, just based on the fact that, um, the transaction fee load of the network is going down rather than up. And as the block rewards going down, at some point you're not going to have anything to pay the miners with. And what are you going to do then? And so at some point there's got to either be a giant fee spike, which completely will mess up a whole lot of things, or you've got to change something significantly, like maybe still prioritize off-chain scaling, but still raise the block size. And it's kind of a similar thing with Bitcoin Cash I've noticed is Bitcoin Cash was created by with people. A lot of people don't really, you know, <laughs> realize this, but it's created, created by Amari Sachet. And people just say, Roger Ver did it. And I'm like, no, he didn't. He just jumped on forward as a, a big proponent thereof. But Amari Sachet left, you know, I guess by force. He got kicked out of Bitcoin Cash and is now running his own thing called eCash. And so where is Bitcoin Cash going to go without its major development, without its founder, like without the founding vision? And so that's going to be interesting to see. So Dash is kind of at this, it already took the hit from the founder going away. And mm-hmm. it's kind of, we're running in, we're running on momentum of where the project is. And so it's kind of interesting. Let me hit on just the, it's a very not, um, non-specific question, but about you as the trust protectors, what have you guys been kind of doing for the last few months? Like what, like if someone said like, Hey, how's work? Like, what do you, what are you guys been up to? It's kind of an open-ended question, yeah. but yeah, I mean, I think a lot of people actually don't know anything near the answer to that. Yeah. So, um, you mentioned the drama. So, um, for better or worse, um, the last mm-hmm. two to three months in particular have been, very much consumed with dealing with that. Now, it is our job we sign up for, it, so I'm not complaining. I'm just mm-hmm. acknowledging that it's taken a lot of time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, um, we had to, we did a lot of investigation and etc. Um, and wrote a formal response, findings, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So there's that, um, which hopefully that sort of thing is behind us now. But um, we'll be ready if if it's not. Um, so that's the, the less exciting stuff that we've been working on. Now, um, the most important thing, especially since February, is that Ryan stepped down. Mm-hmm. And so, um, so we've been giving a lot of support to the effort to deal with the CEO vacancy. So mm-hmm. that's really been job number one, despite you know the drama seeming like it's all-consuming. And at times it, it is, and it can feel that way. But really, the truth of the matter is that job number one has been um, working with CCG to figure out what to do about this. Um, so I just sent some documents over yesterday at a meeting with the DCG board on Monday. Um, so that's job number one for sure. A similar question was like, what are the three key initiatives that the trust protectors have been working on? And then I think there was a related question about, you know, what's the handoff look like to the new team that's coming in? Um, number one is definitely supporting DCG in the absence of its leader, former leader, Ryan Taylor, right? So that's been the number one uh, order of business, lots and lots of time, by far the biggest time commitment. 
Um, and again, it's just a, it's an ongoing process to figure out what to do next and then communicate about it. Um, we actually have some things outside of urgent response that are just more mm -hmm, proactive things. Outside of hair on fire. Um, yeah. By the way, then unexpected things, like we just had an election, but um, the election also presented some surprises. We actually had to um, try to recover some old code and mm -hmm. kind of revitalize it a little bit unexpectedly. And, um, and Huawei and Ryan Gull at the incubator really, really stepped in and helped um, a lot on that sort of stuff with others. So, but that was another one of these things where for a week or two, we thought, wait a minute, do we have election software? But, you know, we did and just had to be sort of dusted off and fired up again. So, you know, those sorts of uh, administrative things come up. Um, it's not all that trivial though, because it's the election. It's kind of an important piece of the puzzle. Uh, and we learned a lot about the election process and voting. Um, some things that were just reminders of uh, from past elections and some things that we um, learned anew. So that's positive there. We can talk about that. Uh, but anyway, back to the point about um, more of the proactive stuff. So, so the existing class of trust protectors, which of course is the last year's class. So we're, we're still seated and about to be unseated. There's a deed, an actual deed that comes through mm -hmm. the new trustee and that's the official moment um, after all the paperwork's done. So when I say the current trust protectors, I mean last year's class um, uh, that's moving on except for me. Uh, we have a big proposal um, and some really good stuff that we want to publish um, and present to the, to the network as soon as we can. Um, it's actually been kind of backburnered, unfortunately. We had, if someone had asked us on January 1st, what would we have accomplished by the time of the election in March, we would have said, well, we'd get this proposal out to the network for a vote, and then we would present um, this, uh, we call it the issue flow. So I'll just tip mm -hmm. my cards a little bit and the, the trust protector cards a little bit. We're trying to formalize the process of communication with the Dash trust protectors. So mm -hmm. the entire process, it's almost like publishing a software spec. This is how it works. This is exactly the flow, if you will, like application flow that your issue is going to flow through. It has like statuses at different stages along the way and et cetera. Um, the, uh, like the, the, I can't say enough about this last group of trust protectors. Um, it was a really um, smart group of folks and a lot of um, diverse experience, um, but a lot of Dash experience and, and historical knowledge and so forth. So, mm -hmm. um, so that's that's one of the biggest initiatives that's actually more proactive and is in the category of just shoring up um, the trust protectors, clarifying the role um, to the community, clarifying the communication channels and as we call it the issue flow yeah. so when some and by the way this this the, the um, unfortunate part about it is had we gotten this out the door sooner um it would have mitigated a lot of this drama or maybe even totally prevented it so mm. um there's just a higher standard of professionalism with the way this will be done um there are formal uh, stipulations for once an issue is submitted, discussing it privately versus publicly. Unfortunately, I think we've got that balance wrong. And so much of this, you mentioned it earlier, of the drama was adjudicated as, as he said, he said, he said, she said, kind of mm -hmm. uh, drama publicly, like in discussion forums and so forth. And that's a, you know, it's not that there should be censorship or, or muzzling or anything like that. But, you know, anyone who knows anything about human interaction knows that at some point 
you just got to huddle up in private and especially if you've got to say some uncomfortable things so this new structure that we um, that hopefully the new trust protectors together with me will will endorse and we'll be excited about getting out we'll get that out and it will make a big difference so that's that's an exciting project too and then there's just some administrative stuff we're looking at the service level from the, the trustee that we have um, and you know some of those just kind of technical legal organizational things well before we move on to other ones we did get a super chat here um, anonymous oh. as someone who's founded or run software based companies what do you um, how do you make sure your top projects meet their deadlines and that everyone is on the same page so it's kind of like a a, a process based question uh, based on your experience yeah so um, I think I mentioned at the outset I've, I've been in software for 23 years I'm a developer by trade I've cut a lot of code I don't cut so much code um, these days I'm not I'm never going to give Sam a run for his money your job safe Sam <laughs> uh, but having been there and done that um, and then having uh, risen to the ranks of software uh, management and executive positions um, I've seen the entire business but I've I've taken it very seriously to really study this part so for example um, the the one conference I go to every single year for 15 years, um, unless there's a pandemic or something, um, is called the Business of Software. And it's nothing but like um, a few hundred um, software founders, executives that are all focused on the same problem. It's a really outstanding, I consider this a replacement for like a B school degree or something like this. I, I wouldn't have wanted to go to a business school, um, but this is the next best thing. Uh, and it's very, very specific to how you run software companies right to the point of this question. So I will say this in brief. This is the hardest part of software development. It, you'd think, well, wait a minute, come on. Programming is hard. Hierarchical, authenticated data structures, the GrobeDB that we're working on, Sam and the team work on, it's hard, isn't it? That's yeah. got to be the hardest part. Okay, so yes, that is hard, but it's hard in an engineering hard sort of way. Um, the, the kind of orchestration of all the parts of a software team to all be working together, working towards the same goal, towards a goal that has been clearly communicated and can be met, um, that's it. That's why we're having the Agile revolution, because this stuff was just about impossible. Nobody even tried in previous generations of software. Mm -hmm. That's why the Agile manifesto was written and the Agile revolution happened. And all the things that followed on scrum and lean and eventually uh, devops and the tooling that goes with all of that and the orchestration of all the tooling continuous integration continuous deployment so this is like trying to run an orchestra times a thousand i mean it is like it's because if you don't have it it's cacophony you miss all those things so um so what i will say is that it's hard. Tell me again what the specific question was. How do we, um, go ahead. Pop it all right back up. Um, yeah. How do you make sure your top projects meet their deadlines and that everyone is on the same page? Right, so you have to um, orchestrate all of these things, right? So you have to have a product roadmap. That's also mm -hmm. why the term product is ubiquitous all over the software world now. Product chief, product engineers, product managers, product owners, right? Product, product, product. That's an overall philosophical cultural revolution that's washed over software. So you have to have a product roadmap. You have to have 
product people, um, you have to you have to have all of this tightly integrated, right? Uh, and then there's tooling and process and rhythms. So when you get it right, it's as right as rain. It is the hardest thing to get right. Um, I'm going to say it again. It's harder than than uh, hads than hierarchical authenticated data structures. Sorry, Sam. Yeah. Uh, Sam would Sam would probably agree with me on this actually on this point because it, the reason is is kind of obvious if you think about it. It's the human side, right? Mm -hmm. And that's where things get messy. It's not binary anymore. Um, and so so that's um, that's how you do it. It's just kind of a general description. Actually doing it is really hard, and of course. DCG needs more of that. That's not a slight to DCG. Everybody needs more yeah. of that. Sure I will tell you one time. I, that. <laughs> absolutely. Um, the most expensive, um, the most expensive consultants anyone's ever seen are lawyers. Cause like, if you have to get off a murder rep or something, you're going to pay a thousand or $3,000 an hour, like OJ Simpson, right? To use an example. Mm -hmm. But the next most expensive consultants I've seen were um, DevOps. Agile process consultants, and they charged forty thousand dollars a week. Um, this is the Nicole. How can I Forsgren, get into this line of work again? <laughs> yeah, and I bumped into Nicole and Jez and Jean uh, Kim. Um, their stuff got purchased by Google. Um, mm -hmm. It was so good, and Google is just obsessed with process, as they have to be. Mm -hmm. And they came across Nicole Forsgren and, and uh, that DevOps Research um, Associates group. And just loved it so much they bought it all. They just bought it. They said, we gotta have this. Anyway, by the time I bumped into the Nicole and these folks, you know, I'd been in my career for a long time and I thought the same thing. I'm like, I specialize in the wrong thing. I want to be doing 40 can forty thousand mm -hmm. a week, you know. But anyway, that's a sign of how much demand there is to get this right. So Yeah. That's where we're at. Well, so um the next kind of thing is how has the DCG staffing issues been? How have you guys been dealing with that? So obviously the big one is uh, Ryan Taylor. Um, I believe was it early February indicated he was going to resign at some point, but based on controversy surrounding a um, a vote, he decided to do that a little bit sooner than anticipated. And you know, and most of what the trust protector has been dealing with, from my understanding, or a big piece of it, would be trying to find an interim CEO or a full on see a replacement for the dash core team or in et cetera. And at the same time, also, I believe quite a few other uh, DCG staff members have indicated that they're moving on. Um, so how has that, how's that been so far trying to like deal with, deal with the staffing turnover kind of? Yeah. So um, a lot of the turnover is uh, recent. And I think that, um, Confidentiality wise, this I, I won't I certainly won't say anything that DCG already hasn't gone public with. Yeah, of course. Um, so um, Arden, uh, for example, and June, uh, folks that are in, uh, you know, Marcom roles, marketing communications, broadly defined. Mm -hmm. um, a lot of these departures are recent um, as well, but they're also recent hires. Um, mm. And so and a lot of them come, I think almost all of them come on the heels of Ryan's departure too, yeah. which is an expected thing, right? Um, especially since, I mean, the DCG staff was just, the board was pointing out to me the other day that, Hey, it's been a couple of months, you know, we, we need to start hitting the gas pedal on this. That's correct. Um, but that's not an, uh, an unexpected thing. Uh, 
if you if you're kind of headless um, for a while and and you know nature abhors a vacuum as the old saying goes and one of the things that fills the vacuum is um, is fear uncertainty and doubt and so I think a little bit of that has happened um, it's also true that there were a lot of people I think that weren't happy with the fact that Ryan departed in the manner in which he departed right so so now morale becomes a factor so um, I think there was a specific question like, is this, should the community be worried? My answer is uh, honestly, no. Um, so uh, there are gaps. We need to fill these gaps for sure. Um, the remaining board members, Sam, Glenn, and Robert are, um, are very busy. They are absolutely, uh, they were already overworked, I think, but they're overworked increasingly now as a result of Ryan's departure and then some of the um, division of labor changes as a result of additional um, departures. But a couple of things. Um, so first of all, I think um, the majority of the recent departures departures are also recent hires, and that was just, just kind of bad timing. It happens. You join a company at a point of transition, and you just think to yourself, eh, I'm not sure about this, and I'm going to split. So that just happens. You know, that's okay, and good luck to those folks. Uh, the last thing I'll say is that the engineering organization is, is really stable. Um, hmm. So... Um, I don't, I don't know if the number's zero, um, but I think it's pretty close to zero in terms of that turnover. Um, by the way, there's a situation going on in the world which is grave. Um, it's the gravest of all situations, which is war. Um, war is hell. And um, we have a fair number of, of people, especially in the engineering team, that are involved, are affected by that. And... And nonetheless, talk about a shot to morale. There is no greater shot to morale than you know worrying about personal safety of you or your family or your mm -hmm. property or your bank account. I mean, this is really genuinely horrid stuff. And um, and despite that, uh, in addition to maybe morale problems or worries about the future of the project, there's a lot of stability there. So uh, those are some thoughts about about the state of uh, of hiring and departures and all that. Yeah, it's kind of funny. I mean, it's, it's, it's interesting and I think a fascinating and a good thing. So Dash Core Group has kind of, um, way back before it was a Dash Core Group, it was just the core team or whatever. Um, it's always been, it assumed the uh, position of the head of a crypto organization traditionally has been the developers, the dev team. Like the Bitcoin core team has been like the developers. And so that's like most of what... Dash was originally, but then the core team had a few other people, like the guy running the Twitter account, and there was like a biz dev guy and stuff. And under Dash Core Group, the roles and responsibilities really expanded to a lot of different things. And now it seems it seems like the most. I mean, I have to say, um, while the, the development team has been pretty doing some pretty awesome stuff as of late, I think they get a little bit too much of a pass when you know deadlines are missed and things like that. And people, you know, the devs are untouchable kind of, but one thing is for sure is there is no controversy. As far as I know, the dash core group shouldn't be, they should be doing most of the protocol development, right? That seems to be the least controversial aspect. And so it is a very positive sign that the, the thing that everyone in dash wants the most. And the thing that no one seems to mind that DCG is doing is intact and it seems to be yeah that seems to be like i don't know if that's a silver lining uh for some people it's you know beyond a silver line but i think it will at least settle on a silver lining that 
what people care about most seems to be moving forward quite well. Um, yeah, and a lot of credit for that. I mean, of course, um, Robert and Sam and Glenn work hand in glove. But mm-hmm. Sam, of course, is the CTO and he's responsible for that team directly. And so Sam's, Sam's learned a lot about the C and the O in a CTO title. He knew plenty about the T part. That was never the question, right? So, yeah. but man, it's a crash course in the chief, the leadership role, and then the officer role, which is, you know, basically having to answer all the questions and deal with all the stuff, you know, so um, it's doing a lot. Yeah, I think he's been doing pretty well with that. So we have like a period of transition, obviously, with a lot of Dashcore group, because as you mentioned, Ryan left, and then a lot of recent hires also left, and uh, you know Robert's transitioning out, and but the Dash Trust Protectors have almost entirely changed hands, and uh, so there's a whole new group of people, and it, it's kind of um it's kind of been interesting from my perspective, like what do I think about everything, because um I from what I've seen like. I was a big fan of the last crop of trust protectors. You know, I knew most of them quite well. Um, and the ones such as yourself, that I didn't know super well. I heard great things about, and then we have this new, new crop. I know almost all of them pretty well as well. And I'm also very con on a personal level, right? Again, <laughs> it could be very different and you could tell me that it is very different. There's a bunch of scumbags in there, but probably as far as I know, the new crop is a really great group of people too. Um, so how is how have you found this new group and to and how has it been to work with the new group of trust protectors yeah so we're only just starting um so um we we have um a combined private uh, discord room which a channel Mm -hmm. which is combined old and new trust protectors um so there's a lot of communication happening in there we are uh, as far as the transition goes we're trying to honor our protocols um, yes. such as they exist. So technically speaking, you're a trust protector when that deed um, is issued by the trustee. And so we've um, we've had some meetings. I actually had a one-on-one meeting with Rodrigo, for example, mm-hmm. uh, right after the election. That was great. I had a really uh, great initial interaction um, with Rodrigo and I'm really excited about working with him. Um, I've just had less interaction outside of, you know, um, chat rooms mm-hmm. um, with the others. But um, uh, so we're, the point I was making, though, is that um, we're not just um, spilling the beans um, and doing the full transfer just yet until that deed is issued. The <clears throat> risk would be, of course, that um, if you don't pass the sort of KYC type of, um, you know, identity verification, then you can't be a trust protector. It's a prerequisite, mm-hmm. right? So if we would have opened up private documents and confidential information, then now there's just someone walking around the world that, that has access to that and, and shouldn't. Um, so again, we're just trying to follow the protocols. They exist for a reason. Um, uh, the good news is that this year, we're gonna do it much faster than last year. Last year, my goodness, it took, I don't know, like the better part of two months on the calendar to get into like an all group substantive meeting with all the paperwork and everything figured out and email lists updated and all this sort of stuff. So that's definitely not happening this time. Um, So to start, um, as we're waiting for the paperwork to finish, we've got um, this full group chat room. We're already working on some of the knowledge transfer. Um, 
I actually think one or two of the new protectors um, uh, issued questions as well. So, so this AMA is actually part of the knowledge transfer because they're they're finding yeah. out a lot of the details for me as I go on about it. So, um, but uh, so to the other part of the question though, um, so this much I think is is good news about the trust protectors. So in any um, any project that you work on. If you do really good work, that work tends to live on past you leaving. So this could be anything. It, you know, I, I, there have been um, committees that I created myself on boards that I served on before, and I always wondered, man. So since I came up with that idea and created it myself, is it gonna is it gonna survive, or is it just gonna peter out after you know the terms up, sort of thing? Mm -hmm. So um, what I think is that when you do really good work, um, it has a tendency to have its own momentum and it lives on and the, the trust protectors prior to last year's group, but most definitely last year's group, um, uh, they've done a lot of good work. And I do think that that'll carry forward. And, um, and then, you know, I'm not worried about, uh, yeah. Personalities. It's the other nice thing about it is, um, it's just a very, it's almost like developer culture. It's very natural meritocracy. So people can speak freely and, and you have their own opinions and, um, it kind of already has its own, even though it's not been around very long. Um, it has that kind of a culture. So that allows, uh, it's not so buttoned down or restricted or anything. So you can allow, you know, lots of different opinions and personality types, I think. So that's positive. Well, that's cool. Um, I'm going to jump around with a few of these questions. Before that, though, mm -hmm. I did get a super chat. It wasn't, it's not entirely, or it's kind of odd, un, un, it's tangentially related to what we're talking about from the Bitcoin Cash podcast that, uh, Bitcoin Cash was created by Satoshi, not Amari. Uh, Amari's, however, Amari's technical, sorry, it's tripped over. However, Amari's tenure in technical leadership, such as it was, is key because Bitcoin Cash is the only coin where the community has overthrown the dev slash leaders twice in hostile circumstances. No other coin is kind of close to that level of battle-tested community-driven governance. Have you been following the CTV drama and BTC? they are having a version of governance crisis you mentioned right now. I have not, I, I want to follow, if anyone wants to point me in a direction on, you know, tag me on Twitter, DM me on wherever, I do want to keep up with that because that is very interesting to me. I know that the CTB or um, issue is a big upgrade thing. I, and I've heard several people mention drama, um, but I have not witnessed the drama. And you know, I love some drama. <laughs> I love to at least, popcorn like look at it from a distance but um the one thing is kind of interesting um bitcoin cash is the only one that's overthrown its dev slash leaders twice in hostile circumstances um hostile is key because um one could say you know dash is turned over twice more or less if you want to go like the figurehead kind of route but the first one was you know at least to public you know it was not i would say evan moving on is not really hostile circumstances. The second one, I would give it a half hostile, right? Because there's no ignoring that there was a bunch of drama, some of which happened on this very podcast, and that there was a contentious high participation vote, which caused things. There's no ignoring that that happened, but also it was a, you know, a pre-planned transition that just got expedited, I guess, and. A lot of and, and the organization slash team behind it, uh, be that was in charge of you know dash core, dash development, 
is still there, you know, and most of the people are still around, especially like the technical side is still there. So I would give that like a half and half. And I, I do think, although, you know, I do think this is an important thing to, to mention about governance, right? Is that um, governance changes, I believe, should a sign of health is mostly peaceful, right? Entirely peaceful is not a sign of health because that means that someone's in control and that person just has, you know, the tentacles of power. And at the same time, I, I think that Bitcoin's governance system, including all the forks, there's a, I'm not saying it doesn't work, but there's a deficit in it, which causes a lot of damage on the way out on transitions. And so I think that, um, more explicit governance would help those things. It, again, it's a, it's a baseline of uh, decentralization that you can't even turn over. And it's a great sign for you know the original Bitcoin code base and then Bitcoin Cash being able to stay around and do its thing and Bitcoin SV going this way and eCash going this way. It, it's a sign of decentralization that people have been able to fulfill their dreams in forks. And it, at the same time, as I, I wish that there wouldn't have to be forks, that there'd be more explicit governance kind of system. Yeah. Yeah, you can bet I'm going to be looking up that um, that double hostile takeover of the development mm -hmm. team, I think is what they were saying, correct? Yeah, because um, as much as it's, it's semi-off topic, I guess, but like obviously Bitcoin, Satoshi left. Uh, Bitcoin core developers at the time ended up favoring not increasing the block size and ended up wanting to do an off-chain scaling route through a, a bunch of, hard, of soft forks, not hard forks. Um, and the first of which segregated witness was viewed as a, a non-starter for uh, people in parts of the Bitcoin community, which ended up becoming the Bitcoin Cash community. And then um, Amari Sachet was kind of the lead developer of Bitcoin Cash. Um, and then Bitcoin SV with Craig Wright and Calvin Air and all of them had a disagreement over some other upgrades. They ended up splitting off into their thing. And then basically over a a kind of like dash's treasury but not like variable as in only to the one team the um uh, bitcoin cash developers you know amari sashe the more or less founder you know again it's contentious if it's satoshi or him whatever um ended up trying to impose a basically a salary for his team hard-coded in and that got him the boot <laughs> and he got kicked out yeah, yeah. and he created eCash which is, you know, floating around there too. And uh, so where now he can do all his ideas. He's kind of abandoned the, the Bitcoin branding entirely. It's more free to kind of innovate at that point. So that's kind of, that's the TLDR of like a decade of crypto, like history and block size wars and all this kind of nonsense. So <laughs> if I glossed over anything, it is a very brief recap. The block size uh, part of that history um, is referred to in the, um, at the same time in public discussions about establishing the trust protectors. Um, um, but it's, it's more to talk about talked about in terms of the governance model, because I think it predates the trust protectors a little bit. Um, but the point is that um, just, just the block size um, improvement proposal um, alone just took years and festered mm -hmm. in the, in the Bitcoin world and dash got it done like that. So yeah, yeah. that's a nice comparison. It's funny because it, I don't think that, any of that debate, I don't think Dash necessarily skipped anything. It just got to a decision, you know? And yeah. I kind of, 
at the same time, there were decisions that never went to votes where uh, if people remember, there was a lot of Dash community members who ended up leaving the Dash community after a failed governance proposal and ended up joining the PIVX project. Um, it wasn't like PIVX is a code fork of Dash, but it wasn't a chain split. It wasn't, you know, like, and then they ended up bouncing off to smart cash and then other stuff. But so, um, yeah, this a, crypto governance could be like a, a decade long. Like you could do a lot of stuff. Let me hit this question that um, your new colleague, um, uh, free Dash guy, as he's known, asked. He says, how much work do Dash trust protectors do behind the scenes? Is it a one hour a week? Is it two hours more or less? And yeah, let's just start with that. Like how much, how much time are you putting in for free here? Yeah. So I don't want to scare anyone. <laughs> um, we, uh, the trust protectors in my experience during my first term are um, very accepting and forgiving of whatever you can contribute mm -hmm. um, at a minimum contributing uh, at least via live chat because we spent a lot of time in chat rooms chatting um, and then meetings, um, the regular meetings. Um, so, uh, but that's kind of the bare minimum. Now, even the regular meetings, we were meeting monthly and then for um, like the better part of three months now, we've been meeting weekly. Um, and because of everything going on, uh, these have been longer meetings, um, but there've been supplemental meetings as well. So of course, the DTPs interviewed all extensively interviewed all of the officers at DCG who were remaining mm -hmm. the board members after Ryan's departure. You know, those were multiple, like four hour meetings. I mean, they were marathons, just a lot to dive into. So, you know, it, it the, the short answer is that it's been a lot recently, but, um, but, you know, sometimes it'll be a one-on-one, -on -one. like I'll have a meeting um, with a one-on-one -on -one with one of the, uh, a DCG board members, and then I'll bring those notes back to the DTPs and we'll discuss it as a group. So not everyone has to be, we did have some full group interviews as well that also went, you know, three, four hours across multiple meetings. But um, it's also important to note that these are unusual circumstances. So we're not going to have an executive leadership crisis on a regular basis. Um, these tend to be um, more occasional type problems. Uh, so I know that's kind of a long-winded and not a specific answer, but that's because there is not a simple answer to it. Um, so let's just look at the, um, I'm a glutton for punishment. Um, so I've put in a lot of hours and a lot of the um, current and former trust protectors did too, um, the outgoing folks. But um, if uh, someone gets COVID and that happened, or um, if someone you know is on vacation and those sorts of things happens, um, we're just very understanding about giving someone the time um, and then just catching them up, you know, at another date and time. So there's definitely some flexibility to it, but right now um, it's a pretty decent commitment. It'll be hours, plural per week, um, possibly more depending on, you know, things you might volunteer for. Um, so that's the answer for now. You know, we're looking to get it to be a well-oiled machine so that it's just, I mean, I've been on boards where once a month, to our meeting, done, everything is just smooth and repeatable. And then even on that one, one board I was the board president of was a school board. And sure mm -hmm. enough, there was um, a principal crisis, just like CEO crisis, right? 
and it was a 25 year veteran principal. And so it wasn't just, you know, even, even amongst executive leadership crises, this was a, an extra challenging one. So then all of a sudden, same thing, or, you know, a flare up of meetings and a lot of extra time committed. But anyway, yeah, I, I bet school board meetings are lit these days. You know? <laughs> yeah. Thankfully I've been off of the school board for a good long yeah. time now, but yeah, nowadays, holy cow. <laughs> yeah. So let me hit this, uh, cause it's more specific and we hit the more general ones. Um, Tante Stefana, very long time bash person, like eight year veteran, I would say, uh, says, how do you feel about extending the length that trust protectors serve? I feel two years is too short yet. I can see this helpful in keeping from having an entrenched or stale TV board, but I feel there can be too much discontinuity. Could we, or would you be interested in having two year terms with half of the trust protector up for reelection every other year? So you never lose more than uh, one half of the board at a time. Interesting question. Yeah, and uh, he's got his finger on the pulse. The short answer to that one is absolutely. Um, it is a challenge right now, and the only to do that, we'd have to really change our bylaws and, and get that formally changed. But it's absolutely the right idea for sure. Ryan himself said, gosh, I feel for you guys. You have a year to do whatever you're going to do. You're not sure if you're going to make it. By the way, you know the the process of onboarding new uh, trust protectors is just now getting smoothed out um, and easily repeatable. So that took so we basically we almost lost like two months on the calendar last year before we could get you know real substantive full group stuff going, and then you got ten months left, right? So, um, so yeah, that's a problem. And um, I'm thinking like almost every other board I've been on already has the staggering in place. Um, mm. Sometimes it can take a while to get there. Um, and this is kind of a startup board, but yeah, um, like two year terms and staggering. Uh, there are, as far as the entrenchment problem, there is a mechanism for um, ejecting a trust protector if necessary. So that's a mechanism that's in place. That's a worst case scenario, of course, shouldn't come across that, but but there's a mechanism to do it if there's some more serious problem before the end of the term. Um, but I think two years is a nice sweet spot. And then the, uh, because it, you can get um, a decent amount done in two years and get some moment, real momentum and real continuity. Um, and then the overlapping concept also works. So that's, I mean, we were this close by the way to having an entire turnover, right? Um, as far as vote totals go. So. Mm that close. So, uh, yeah, uh, that, and that creates its own kind of, uh, disruption in the form of the discontinuity that was mentioned in the question. Right. So, so discontinuity is a serious momentum killer. Um, anyway, so I think that's a great idea and I'd like to, I'd like to be able to get to it as soon as the next term, which is conceivable, but it depends yeah. on how many other. Uh, and so for that, I think we should, like this is as a random as a way of getting it started for the first time i would probably say the you know the sole um sir, the sole incumbent dtp plus a random selection like completely like name out of the hat to make the other 50 percent would then be up for re-election next year and then the other ones would be the incumbents and then just do like that and so obviously if you do a good job you should stay and if you um like if you do a good job you should stay especially since it's a lot of work and it's a vol as a volunteer position it's like 
you know, it's kind of kind of rough to get someone to. So it's not like we're going to be like, hey, a new group of people every single year. There's going to be a few new faces. Maybe, maybe not. Maybe just one or two, because it's just like who can actually who cares? That's the biggest one. Who actually cares about Dash enough to do all this nonsense? But then, you know, who's able to and who's like not our loose cannon? We've had some interesting people on the on the the trust before as well. Um, but yeah, that seems like a. I think. That's actually a fantastic idea. Thanks, Tanti Stefano. Um, now, let me hit on a couple others. And obviously, anyone who wants to throw in stuff at the Super Chat, feel free. Um, These this are getting a little bit more involved. So, would you support Dash Core Group reviewing its legal structure to explore more decentralized alternatives? And just like the, the context of that is Dash Core Group, I believe it's a, it's a Delaware corporation. And obviously, you know, it runs like a traditional company, kind of. And obviously, however, with, you know, structure, structurally at least, however, with a decentralized autonomous organization kind of funding, you know, paying the bills and making decisions on, you know, a monthly voting cycle basis and, and so forth. So, but what about changing that structure to make it less of a, you know, a traditional corporate kind of structure. What do you think about that idea? Yeah, I support it. Um, I, I know that the, the sort of purest idea about this is why do we need corporate structure at all? And unfortunately, there are a lot of good answers um, and important answers as to why we need it. But, um, but conceptually, yeah, I'm very much in favor of it. Um, the, uh, DCG's board, I will say, is um, well aware of this. And this is basically a constant consideration for them. Um, they're always thinking about different moves they can make. Um, so they're already thinking about it um, and think, uh, thinking about it. Um, you know, there are a lot of considerations. Um, so again, we're in the revolution here, but uh, until we are entirely free and clear of things like bank accounts, you can't just willy-nilly decide to do away with them, right? A corporation without a bank account is basically dead in the water. I mean, in a lot of ways, it's certainly because, again, as you pointed out, Joel, um, mm -hmm. this is a, a Delaware C corporation, right? It's a very tried and true, uh, very specific legal entity. The rules are all well established and well known. Um, so things like uh, moving to a favorable tax jurisdiction, especially as a crypto project, could get you kicked out by your banking partners. I mean, they might just say, forget it. We're not, we're not, you're going to launder money and then we're going to be in trouble with the federalities, right? So, so there are a lot of implications that, um, that are non-trivial um, if they were to bite you. Um, so short answer, yes. Um, if we could wave a magic wand and um, either not be incorporated um, or be incorporated in some really, really freedom favorable jurisdiction without impacting our operations, then I'd say let's do it in a minute, but it's complicated and Glenn and, and the gang know this and, and they're they're careful about it. So uh, it's possible that there are some changes coming, um, like let's say over the next year, but mm -hmm. that's one, of course, like I was saying, you gotta be careful with. Interesting. And so um, now that you have a better understanding of how Dash Core Group operates, uh, if you could make any operational changes, like, as a dictator, I guess, like without, you know, having to get consensus, you would just say, okay, these are the operational changes we change or the way you do things. 
What do you have any ideas of some of the the prime ones you'd throw in there? Yeah, for sure. We would um, enhance these orchestration elements of a healthy corporation that need to be enhanced. That's what I was talking about earlier. I call it. I can't remember if I use this term, but I I call like in terms of the work that I do, like um, in software professionally, I call it, it's almost a form of alchemy, right? Mm. It's combining elements in such a way that they almost have uh, they're more than some of their parts, which has to do with orchestrating, orchestrating marketing and marketing communications and um, development and development process and delivery schedules, working off of a product roadmap that's properly prioritized. Like I was saying before, um, it's really hard to get that part right. It's the hardest part of software development and delivery. Um, so if I could wave a magic wand, I would have, and by the way, we're already dealing with this, right? Because yeah, the CEO vacancy has us asking the question, well, okay, if we're going to have a new CEO, who's that person going to be and what's that person going to do, right? So my personal opinion on the matter is that um, we would benefit at this point from a technical CEO. Um, doesn't have to be a former engineer or a current program or anything like that. In fact, we probably want more actual just management experience than someone being having been buried in code. But if you've, um, if you've studied this part, and especially if you've gotten good at it, that I think um, is the role then that could help stitch it all together um, and help with delivery and in particular communicating about delivery, that's certainly a challenge. So as you pointed out earlier, we've been late repeatedly. Um, it's harder and harder to communicate when you're late. Credibility um, is, is waning, you know. So, so um, to help in that area that uh, orchestrates everything together in a healthy functioning um, whole, that is if I could wave a magic wand, that's what I would um, somehow find um, for DCG. Turns out it's not easy to find. Uh, and then it has to be integrated with who's there already, right? So then there's there's that piece, right? Um, uh, you know, things like uh, coming in with a, an iron fist, and uh, especially in developer and engineering culture, man, you've got to be really careful with that sort of thing. So mm -hmm. you could find someone who's got this knowledge of how to orchestrate a software delivery team specifically and market it and communicate about a product roadmap and meet promises, all that. But then personality wise is the wrong personality. And now you are going to have um, exodus from the engineering team. So yeah. you, you created one problem, but you, you solved one problem, but created a much bigger one. So, so I'd want to do it in a way that um, actually helps the team and helps it get to the next level. But I'm glad the term, I think the term magic wand was used in that question because, man, mm -hmm. um, that, that's hard it's to difficult. I think it's yeah. very interesting how, like, crypto um, is kind of the inheritor of, like, the the Apple movement, like, you know, Macintosh, Apple. And it, it's, it's funny how, like, quickly things change in the world. I think I, as a random observation about life, I think that the world's changing way faster than ever, ever did before. I think just, you know, new things just keep popping up. Um, one thing's for sure, like Elon Musk is the perfect CEO for the modern era in a way because, or he is the archetype, I should say, because he is the, first off, a technical 
CEO. Like, is Tesla a tech company? I mean, kind of. It's kind of a car company, too, though. Is SpaceX a tech company? Like, all those companies. Twitter a tech company. Yeah, like, all that stuff. And he is the a technical person, like a smart technical person. But he's also, like, this weird people's champ vibe to him. You know, that kind of, like, very... It, it is kind of a cult of personality a little bit. Like, who even knows who's the CEO of Microsoft right now? Or, like... Tim Cook, does anyone know what Tim Cook's up to? Like, no one cares, kind of, right? It's, but like this highly, like this bombastic tech CEO is the archetype of the modern era right now. And that's as kind of one of those things that I think that was a little bit against the grain for a while was when Brian Taylor was running Dash Core Group, he was kind of not Mr. Big Bombastic and also not the tech CEO. And that kind of like ran as just a cultural, like a counterculture kind of thing. Like the culture is going this way. That's coming this way. I do kind of like that observation that a lot of people have been saying, a lot of people much less well thought out and intelligent as you, I would say, have been saying the same type of thing, which is, you know, everyone kind of, you know, they kind of feel it. They get where the wind's blow and they, they see that crypto, especially everything's a tech company these days, but especially crypto. And you need some sort of a tech CEO who's able to get out there in front of people and communicate, do the Andreas Antonopoulos kind of a thing, you know, the Hoskinson thing, the all that kind of Char- stuff. That seems like mm-hmm. to be what you want. And, you know, I I think Sam is doing a great job in his current role. Um, when I've seen him put his toes into the a little bit more than that role, I've been impressed as well. But like, it doesn't have to be him. There's plenty of people it could be, but I do kind of, on a personal level, kind of uh, agree with that general assessment. Now, one more thing on this. Um, there have been a lot of recent resignations in Dash Core Group. Uh, and so that would be, obviously, Ryan Taylor left. Uh, Robert is on the way out. Arden left. Chris Huff, from what I hear, is also on the way out. At least that's what Sam seems to have confirmed. Uh, June for the... You know, and then there could be some others I'm missing, but that's a that's a pretty good chunk of people. Um, should the community be concerned over this kind of change, or is the change, or do you kind of see it as a good and slash healthy for the network? Yeah, this is um, uh, related to the question we touched on earlier. So, mm-hmm. um, it's it's almost a hundred percent outside the engineering organization for what that's worth. Not that. Um, mm-hmm you know, content and marketing and, and those things are not important. They really are. Um, if, you're, if we're not telling our story and telling it well, then it just, that's just the reality of modern organizations. We are not going to grow. It's a very busy, very loud world. So I'm just emphasizing that that's really essential. Um, but for um, hour by hour development of our product, so to speak, which is you know, this, the Dash software and, and core and platform and all that, that part is, as we said earlier, that's stable. Um, and so, uh, and then as also as we touched on before, um, you know, a lot of those um, departures were also recent hires. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think, I think it more reflects uh, coming into an organization that feels chaotic. So anyone can empathize with that. It's not pleasant um, and it's not, you know, confidence inspiring. So I think that mostly explains it. Um, but 
you know, then it's also worth emphasizing that there's there's just a lot of hardworking, dedicated people left doing good work. So that's what we have to work with. Um, and um, I am really confident that I, uh, hopeful and confident that the trust protectors will help, will help mm -hmm. um, stabilize morale, maybe even uh, somehow um, get the, uh, you know, the inspiration level up and the excitement level up. Um, so, uh, so we're focused on that for sure is helping across all of these challenges, but, um, between the board of directors and the staff inside DCG, as well as the dust trust protectors, I'm not worried. We'll be fine. And we'll, we, this too shall pass as the old saying goes, we'll get past it. All right. Well, let's hit on this one here, right? Um, what do you think of, and this is something I've had some opinions on too and we're just discussing competing governance models between just the straight up nakamoto consensus and then dash's more explicit version but uh what do you think of dash's governance model as a whole and do you have any like valuable criticisms to that any like do you think it's good do you think it's bad like what do you think yep so i think it needs if there's a criticism it needs to be clarified um mm -hmm. The again, you know, however you feel about marketing or branding or selling, um, there was a book written, I don't know, this is maybe 30 years ago now called The Nation of Salesmen. And mm -hmm. it had to do, this is actually a, a precursor uh, treatment of topics that became more prominent when um, like social networks developed. So what have we, what have we um, standardized on calling social networks? Social media, each individual mm -hmm. is a media organization, right? story to tell, personal brand, all that. So this is just the way that the whole world has moved. So, um, so applying this to the, to the um, governance model and the trust protectors, um, we need to brag about it more. We need to make it more front and center. Um, it needs, it basically needs to be marketed better, just like, you know, say our, um, I keep referring to the hierarchical, um, uh, authenticated data structures because I've yeah, been of course. Nerd, nerding out <laughs> reading about GrowDB and all that. Um, just like that needs that story needs to be told. The governance model story needs to be told more and better. And I think that's it's something that's incumbent on the new class of trust protectors over the next year. This um, formally published uh, issue flow, sort of the specification for how the governance model works and how issues are raised with these highfalutin trust protectors. I think that'll, that'll help. And then there are other ways that we can trumpet it too. Um, you know, another, um, another way that we can improve that is to recruit. And, and so at Zymeri as a master hosting company, you can bet that we are absolutely trying to recruit more investors to Dash master ownership. So brand new people, this is just the same as um, you know, signing up new wallets for more and more everyday people who were not previously part of this world. So with high net worth individuals um, and other types of investors and investment groups, we're trying to bring more of these folks in. The more new guard we, we bring in and fresh blood we bring in, I think the stronger the governance model gets um, as the trust protectors themselves, as that entity matures and gets more experience under its belt. For participating in this i think then that'll start to build some nice momentum for the human portion um 
Yeah. So those are just some thoughts. I, like we talked about earlier, I think it's a real differentiator, but you know, as if you've been in any kind of like business or product or anything in the last couple of decades, you know, that the best mousetrap does not always win. It just doesn't. So, um, we got to tell our story better. We got to show success. Um, of course we have to continue to innovate and build cool features too. But anyway, um, so those are some thoughts on how that'll get better. Yeah. Um, it's funny that comment about the best mousetrap doesn't always win. Um, I would kind of, in a way, argue that it does, but it's not what we think is the best mousetrap. There's a lot of factors that are past the technical thing. Maybe not the best mousetrap, but the best mousetrap company wins. And there's little things that we might not notice or care about that really matter. Um, like just throwing in some random like crypto things. Obviously, like the Bitcoin brand, you know, carried a lot of things but that's kind of that's very well earned right that's just you can't do anything about it. we wouldn't be here without that but then there's First something there's something to the simplicity of the branding and marketing of litecoin that worked a lot better than dash in the short term i, I don't think that that's necessarily a good thing you should rebrand brand dash to like litecoin cash or <laughs> i don't think anything <laughs> of that but there's something about it's like Bitcoin, but it's in the name. It's like lighter. And what is it? Silver to go. Oh, I, I use gold. I get it. You know, it's just right away. People get it. And just yeah. like when you're dash digital cash, like, what is it? Is it? Oh, well, and then there's the amount of time people have to go into it to figure it out just starts to like decrease the utility of the project to them because yeah. they didn't get it right away. And there's, there's something to be said for that. There's something to be said for, pure interoperability like for example hitting the litecoin example again being on the most exchanges the most platforms just being on the most atms just like being ubiquitous instead of like well it was dark coin now it's not and then well some things delist because they heard the name dark and then like like just those things like the technical innovations dash has had in some ways have been less important to the market as those little placement and branding things that Litecoin has done and it's you can't argue against the free market it just is it's what people value and I think that that kind of gives a better roadmap on how to improve those little things you just reminded me of something too that's a supplement to the answer to that which is um the the voting process itself mm -hmm. as so so a criticism of the governance model is that voting is broken now I say this with mad respect to um, the way voting has been developed so far, but we yeah. have to be honest with ourselves. This is an early adopter technology to, mm -hmm. to use the phrase from the uh, best-selling book, crossing the chasm. Voting mm -hmm. has not crossed the chasm. The chasm. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah. it's really technically arcane. Um, we were having some good conversation with um, Ryan and AJ and others, uh, some others from the incubator about this. So mm -hmm. I mean, folks know about this. Um, that's a usability, um, and a removal of friction thing that we, we really got to get done. I think we can get that done over the next year or two. Um, mm. certainly it's more and more important to, ex oh, I think there's a question about voter apathy too. Some of the voter apathy is absolutely, um, technical friction. It's not actually apathy. It's apathy after spending 15 minutes reading about how to vote and, signing messages and open the command line console of this, that, or the other tool, right? That's well, it. Let That's me actually it. throw in a 
a very pertinent data point on all this kind of stuff. And this has been publicly posted about Discord channels. So although it might seem like insider info, it's kind of out there. Um, there is this uh, wonderful fellow um, by the name, by the moniker of XKCD or XKNFT or whatever you want to call him, DJ Cluster, whatever XK you want to go by. Short. Yes. Yeah. And he and another wonderful individual demo run this thing called MNO Watch, where it's just a great resource where of like voting tracking. You get to see votes come in. Part of the thing, and this is a a, a very fascinating way, like in, to people who are new to crypto, especially to learn about privacy is masterminds are completely pseudonymous, right? They're not tied to anyone's physical identity. And therefore, if someone has 100 nodes or one node or whatever, it doesn't matter because you can't tell. Well, you can, kind of. If you know what to look for, people have done some cluster uh, analysis of voting and they managed to identify one individual or one group of one organization, but it's still in a single entity known by the name of We Johnny. And um, if you're out there, we Johnny, thanks for voting for the Dash Marketing Hub. It's appreciated. But it's basically a, a couple hundred master nodes that act as one. And <clears throat> this entity um, voted according. <laughs> this is all out there, right? This entity voted for um, the. There's actually a page on we Johnny on mnowatch.org, which is funny to look into. But this voted for all of the. Trust protector candidates that ended up mm -hmm. winning with yourself as the lone exception. It was clearly it was a, a, a single group or individual that wanted a change in the Dash Trust Protector leadership. And part of from my understanding, and if if I'm completely wrong on this, someone can correct me, but from my understanding of this, because of the way the voting system worked, you had to individually vote with each of your nodes, right? You have to 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 take an individual action. And this person went vote, you know, node one, vote for these guys. Node two, vote for these guys. Node three went only hundreds of nodes down to do that. And so this person in this case had an outsized influence other than just honestly being a big part of the network uh, on this thing because of just the friction of that, a lot of one is able to, I guess you could assume a lot of people with more than one node just didn't want to go through like their eight nodes or whatever going to you know, vote, 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 vote. Whereas like if they're on a site such as like Dash Central or something like that, they can just vote with all their nodes with one click. And so the user experience, we see the results of this user experience thing in real time. And I, I find that to be really fascinating because I am the consummate pro user. I'm like, you know, the pro amateur. <laughs> You know, the guy doesn't know anything except what works and doesn't. And I noticed the joy and difference in using applications that just it every half second extra takes my eyes to find what I want. Makes me hate the app more. You know, you want to cut that down and the time it takes just to the bit. Yep. And it's a it's a real like you have real attrition of usage. Like if I have to do this extra step, I'm not going to do it at all. I'm just going to not. And we have this with the voting process and I, I completely understand what you're saying about the voting process from a technical, from a user friendliness standpoint needs to be absolutely overhauled. Yeah. If you look at it as, as a voter turnout percentage uh, as compared to the total number of masternodes on the planet, which is always somewhere around 4,300 these days or so, right? Um, it's a low voter turnout. So at using that as a measure, 
yeah, that looks like mm -hmm. photorapathy for sure. And then the end result is what turns out to be a pretty non-decentralized um, type of electoral phenomenon like one whale um, turning an election, right? Um, and if that is a single person, you're talking about a single person that turned the election. Now it's nothing in the world. We'll get through it. Um, but yeah, I was also fascinated to look through those, um, all those we Johnny numbers. I followed all of that. I just assumed, you know, that um, it would have, it should have come for me too. And I just maybe bent over to tie my shoe or something. And, you know, the bullet just went flying over my head or something. Uh, yeah. That's my theory for how I was spirit. I figured it was an accident, but uh, yeah, it happened. Uh, but yes, all of this is argument for expanding master ownership and, uh, but expanding voting within uh, current master ownership too, uh, like reducing the friction, et cetera, et cetera. So those are absolutely um, priorities. And I think that the trust protectors could have a role in um, trying to evangelize for that a little bit. Um, we are, again, at, at, at Zymeri, um, as owners of our master hosting company, we are really pounding the pavement um, to find the target um, audience for Dash investment specifically, um, and to try to reach those folks, and of course, bring them under the tent. So, um, thousand Dash for you know to, at a certain level of high net worth individual or certainly investment is that's the petty cash drawer. You know what I mean? So we're affordable in that sense. So hopefully we can expand the ranks. Yeah, another thing that's interesting to note is there is a service that has been championed by someone in the community called CrowdNode. <coughs> which allows you to pool your masternode, your money to make up masternodes. And in the back of my day, there used to be a few such services. CrowdNode was there. Then there was, um, uh, what was it? Neptune Dash or Neptune Digital Asset Corporation, whatever it's called today. But they, they've since moved out of the Dash business, but they had a, a pool node offering. And then, of course, there was the, the more community-based ones of, uh, I don't remember if Flair did a, a did a shares thing, but I know Splawik did, and I know Mukabu did, and I you know that one didn't end as well as most would have wanted. But um, the thing is, and CrowdNode is coming out with a shared, a relatively trustless shared masternode system. But so CrowdNode has been pumping up their numbers all the time. I think they're on thirty-four masternodes, so not quite wee Johnny levels, but they're you're getting up there, and they allow you to vote. And what I like is you can also just not vote and delegate your vote to the majority of the other users. So you kind of have an outsized voting influence if you use CrowdNode. But so that is bringing a lot of fresh blood in. And what I can't, yeah. I believe CrowdNode is going to be integrated directly into the mobile wallets. So you can have one-click staking and you can basically have all your interest from the node pop up right in the wallet and you can just go spend on that. And that's going to be huge from just the product span standpoint of Dash, but also the governance standpoint, I think it'd be really really nice to see. And uh, yeah, so the allow anyone to vote kind of thing, that's one thing I've heard people complain about Dash over the years, like since 2017, is like anyone should be able to stake, anyone should be able to vote. And well, it's like, well, anyone can, but with a certain high barrier, you know, the high minimum, you know, barrier entry kind of thing. But I think that evolving past that is, is going to be pretty cool. Yeah, and lower fees for proposals and all of the small D democratizing things. Yeah, which is coming up not to in the next or the current release that is just hasn't been upgraded in the hard fork yet. But yeah, that's yeah. coming. Well, 
anyone, I think we're getting close to the end here. Anyone want to throw in some last minute questions? I'll do freebies now because by the time I, I get the money and look at it, it, it might be too late, but, um, any last minute questions, anyone? Um, no one's commented on Odyssey yet, but at all, but the Google live chat or the YouTube, sorry, you know, is, is kind of, um, it's going pretty, pretty active. I think I covered, um, a lot of them. Do you have any last things you'd like to say that might not have been covered in the question? I don't think so. I figured we would um, cover a pretty broad spectrum of topics and I, I really think that we did. Yeah, let me just make double sure that nothing else. I'm gonna, on the replay of the, when you can replay the live chat, I'll read all of that. And if there's anything that I missed or got wrong, I'll, I'll fix it, I'll respond to it. Yeah. Well, why don't we just wrap it up as that because um, it is, um, we're like an hour, 30 minutes in, which is pretty typical for these. Sometimes they've gone up to two hours, but that's like, it's a lot. And then my audience, yeah. you know, I'm already getting messages from the other room about like, when are, when's dinner? Are we going to dinner? I'm like, okay, okay. That's okay. Yeah, sorry. I'm afraid and my dog's going to start barking any minute now. Yeah, start chewing on your leg. Well, anyway, yeah. thanks everyone for watching. This has been great. Uh, thanks, Patrick, for jumping on. Uh, definitely, I mean, I expected good things, but I'm also pleasantly surprised at some of the stuff. Like, you're be better than expected, even though oh, you know, I would think shit. better, like, you know, input, insight, all this kind of stuff. And yeah, I think you should opine more in public channels. For, but yeah. So, yes. Um, Definitely on the to-do list for the next term. So yes, good suggestion yes. for sure. Um, and yeah, thanks for having me, man, as expected. Mm -hmm. And that was a very high standard. I've always been a fan of your work. So thanks for all that, mm -hmm. Joel. And thanks for including me in a little bit of it here. Yeah. <laughs> Hilawi commented, he says, do the I'm a survivor outro. Well, I, I, I mean, if I, could, if I could have had it cleared up and I wouldn't get taken off of YouTube for copyright infringement or something, I probably would. But we'll have to go the usual outro. But anyway, well, thanks everyone for watching. This has yeah. been the dash podcast. We'll see you um, because it was delayed a week. I might try to do the next one next week as well. So it might be mm -hmm. you know, instead of like every other, every week. Uh, I don't know who that is, but um, Sam is coming on in a few, like a month maybe. So that'll be fun. Always like comment, share, subscribe. There's 14 people watching and I don't know how many likes. So on your way out, hit the like button. Yeah, 19 likes. There we go. That's good enough. Uh, still hit the like button on the way out. Um, comment, share, subscribe, all that good stuff. Um, now is time when we do the thing called the after party, which is just a, it's a conversation like this, but it's not recorded and it's not live streamed. So you can say whatever you want. And that's like an invite only thing. So, but the way you get the invite is you go to the dash discord, which if you go to stay dashy.com, you get in there. And if you're not on the Dash Discord, you should be because stuff happens. And just start asking around, hey, where are the after party at? And Or if you can just message me wherever you know how to message me. Like if you're just watching on like Twitter or something, you just DM me there. Be like, hey, where's the link? And you'll get put in. I won't be there for a few hours probably, but I, I might book my head in. But it's where the, the after stuff usually happens. So there's been quite a lot of just like we talk about, like, um, you know, a lot of historical revolutions I'm sure have happened in like pubs and stuff among friends.
The after party is the version of that. There's a lot of very interesting stuff that has been talked about, revealed, et cetera, et cetera. And yeah, so join the after party, I guess, guys. Um, thanks one last time, Patrick, and I'll see everyone next week. Thanks so much for listening. If you enjoyed the podcast, subscribe so you don't miss an episode and donate to support the show by going to my Cointree page. That's cointr.ee slash the desert links and leave a message with your donation. Check out the show's sponsors. Live on crypto with BitRefill. Buy absolutely anything with crypto with Shop and Bit. Avoid content censorship with Odyssey. Protect your privacy online with NordVPN. Get paid to search with PreSearch. All links are in the show notes.